is a special broadcast. At 4.10 p.m. today, I died. I died. And yet here I am. Why? I am a messenger of God. Friday, April 17th. This is the beginning. A star fell from heaven. It changed us and gave us a new destiny to stop the devil himself. Wait, you mean like the devil devil? The end will begin. We're the angels of the apocalypse. The Messengers, series premiere only on The CW. Would you wait several days for your cell phone to fully charge? Would you wait several days to feel the full effect of relief from your nasal congestion? Flonase Allergy Relief Nasal Spray could take that long. Ugh. But if you're congested now and you want powerful relief now, use Afrin No Drip. Afrin starts working in seconds uh. and keeps working for 12 hours. So why wait several days to feel the full effect? Uh -uh. You can start to get relief in seconds with Afrin. <sighs> Afrin, powerful congestion relief without the wait. Use as directed. Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks. Thank you very much. Chuck Moore speaks Monday through Friday, 10 till noon, Eastern Standard Time, here at the USA Radio Networks. You're welcome to join the program. 919 896 8198. 919-896-8198 is the number. The Beatles. I was stunned to find in my mailbox about a week ago, because I get a lot of promotional books from authors. I do a lot of author interviews. But this was a fantastic book, a huge two-volume set in a case with beautiful pictures. It's a Great hardcover, large coffee table type book, two of them, volumes one and two, of Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964-1966. And we're joined by the author of these two excellent volumes, Chuck Gunderson. He's a... Uh, He's a history major in, in San Diego. He's a lifelong fan of the Beatles. He's a culture critic. Chuck, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Hey, Chuck. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Great. Listen, what a fantastic set of books. I've been doing radio for 10-plus years. I've never gotten anything like this. It's really <laughs> Well, thank beautiful. you very much. Uh, it was a labor of love for me and something I've wanted to do. It took me about eight years to do it. And finally, uh, glad to see it out on the market. Well, I mean, you've done something that no one else has done, and there have been plenty of good, solid uh, books, biographies about the Beatles as individuals and as a band. And, and I've read my share of them, particularly about John Lennon, who's always been my favorite. Um, but this really is almost a documentary in print. I mean, it goes from date to date, documenting the great uh, historic uh, tour by the band, in the in the uh, 19, in 1965 66 64 66 no 65 66 and uh, and what really constituted the british invasion if you will um you know the the uh, i guess that we should start by talking about 
what you think led to this cultural phenomena that was bigger than just the Beatles as a band. It changed almost, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember it. It changed uh, the way we see the world. What, what was going on there? Well, there was a lot going on, and several historians have written about different events in America leading up to the British invasion, especially the Beatles uh, coming to America. And so I'll, I'll leave that up to uh, those historians. But, you know, in 1964, when, when the Beatles came uh, to America in February of 1964, Ed Sullivan booked them uh, for three shows, paid them $10,000 to do three shows, probably got the best deal in entertainment history, because uh, when the Beatles came on that uh, Sunday, February 9th, 73 million viewers were watching that night. And uh, just kind of propelled from that. I mean, the nation was obviously coming out of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, the music uh, industry really wasn't going anywhere. And then when I Want to Hold Your Hand came out and topped uh, the Billboard Hot 100 in January of 1964, everything just broke loose. And, uh, of course, they had that uh, wonderful, successful visit, three uh, three appearances on Ed Sullivan in February. They played Carnegie Hall. They played the D.C. Coliseum, went down to Miami. And uh, it was uh, kind of set in motion after that. And then Brian Epstein, their manager, brought him back for that uh, historic tour in the summer of 1964, in August. Now the Beatles had already been touring for several years. They were fair, they were very seasoned um, as performers. In fact, uh, I got to listen to a, a two uh, album set of their very earliest concerts, kind of rough cuts. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, you know they've been around. I think they started touring like in the late late 1950s, and already there was rumblings of this. Beatlemania, what we call Beatlemania today, and I think quite accurately, certainly in in the United Kingdom, but also in Europe and in uh, and in other parts of the world, even before they had their great and glorious landing in the United States. So, um, were they put, were they anticipating this uh, this event, this uh, response? I should say. Yeah, well, you're correct, Chuck, when you're uh, talking about them as a live band. I mean, uh, after a few incarnations of the lineup. You know, they finally settled on John, you know, Paul, George, and Ringo. And uh, after that, uh, they toiled literally thousands of hours on stage in, in their native, uh, you know, the U.K. and especially in Germany, and uh, playing shows every night, crisscrossing all over the U.K. Um, they were a hard-working band. A lot of people think they just came to America and, you know, things just happened. And it's not the case. Uh, they knew each other very well on stage. They knew every move on stage. And because, you know, back then, sound technology isn't what it is today. I mean, there was no feedback monitors back then, anything to this, to that sort. And, uh, so when you get in front of a crowd of, uh, 17,000, 20,000 people in 1964, and then later in 65, they're playing stadium shows, 50,000 people plus. Uh, you you got to know your repertoire on stage and where people are at in the song. And, you know, Ringo used to say, you know, the only way I knew where they were in the song is I used to watch John wiggle his butt. You know, that's the only way I could find out because I couldn't hear anything. Uh, but, yeah, they were a, they were an extremely hardworking band. 
but even before they came to America. And Beatlemania was kind of coined in the UK around 1963, and and after that, um, it just completely went berserk. Yeah, I mean, look, I remember it because I, at the time I was, um, I remember going to summer camp. I was probably, I think I was like six or seven years old. And I remember that all the way to camp, the girls would be singing Beatles songs at the top of their lungs, screaming. I remember the Beatles' lunch bags. I remember the Beatles' paraphernalia. I remember thinking their haircuts were interesting. Um, you know, I remember wondering what this was all about. There was such an enormous you know, outpouring of energy. And um, I don't think that um, in this country the, the kind of um, behavior, which, uh, you know, was almost hysterical, had, a, had, had ever occurred before uh, with anyone. I mean, we certainly had had popular cultural figures before, but this was something that was quite new. What, I mean, I, I just, uh, I know that I'm asking a lot here, but... Um, you know what? 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 What was around that? I mean, they obviously were were fantastic, great musicians, and they had messages that were very good and interesting. But there was something bigger with this. I mean, I I can't, I've never been able to quite put my finger on it. Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I think the re I think the answer to that is that here's four guys. Um, on stage. And, you know, before that, we had Frank Sinatra, we had Elvis, you know, it was one single guy that everyone was pining after. Now, all of a sudden, you have four guys from a working class town, Liverpool, England, uh, you know, interesting haircuts, interesting clothes, and all of them each had a personality. Um, also, um, you know, when, when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, all of a sudden, a lot of uh, bands were born that day. Um, you know, everybody saw that and said, look, I mean, these are just common kids making it really big. I mean, I can do that. It's interesting because after the Sullivan performances, the sales of uh, drums, Ludwig drums and Rickenbacker guitars that John was playing that night and Gretsch guitars that George was playing and the Hoff, the famous Hoffner bass that, that Paul was playing that night soared after that performance because you know, kids all over America said, hey, I can go out and do this. I can write songs. I can I can sing and uh, play music in front of people. And so that was probably the difference than the Teen Idol era, you know, the, the, the Frankie Valley days and you know, Frank Sinatra days and especially the Elvis days. You know, in, in, in other words, what it did was it led to the um, the takeoff of an entire industry, in a sense, a cottage industry of of people who, I you know, I wouldn't say they were imitating the Beatles, although there was a lot of that. It was more just uh, getting into step with this um, w- with this development. I remember, I, I think I read an interview with um, with uh, Brian Wilson from the uh, from from the Beach Boys, who said that he he heard them for the first time on his car radio, and he knew that this was like. The way to go. I mean, his uh, he totally changed what he was doing at the time, and uh, th- that there was something about it that was so different that than what had been um, heard before. I mean, I think that maybe it was. I mean, the Beatles were very studied. You know, there was. Uh, you know, they really worked uh, and developed a very unique sound. I think in the very beginning, that was very much an ensemble sound. It wasn't just one person. It was this kind of force. 
that um, you know that had a certain energy to it that I don't think anyone else had been able to pull off. You know, obviously Elvis did it, but he was that was a that was one guy. You know, this was like a it was it was something, you know that 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 was much um, you know in a way more powerful th- than that, and it had social content which not had not happened before. Um, do you get a sense of what the Beatles were all about when they were on these tours in terms of what, you know, was there like a, some kind of a, uh, a social message that they were conveying? Well, I think in the, in the, in, on, during the first tour, um, you have to remember that the Beatles, before they came to America, they were used to playing houses of 2,500 to 3,500 people. The most they'd ever played to in the U.K. was 8,000. They'd started this world tour before they came to America in August of 64 and hit several places, including Australia, where they even played a house of 10,000 people. All of a sudden, they get to America, and they are playing venues, you know, 20,000, 25,000. They had never seen anything like this before. And in planning the tour, Brian Epstein used a New York talent agency by the name of General Artist Corporation to help him figure out which cities to go to, because obviously they wanted to play cities where Beatle records were, were selling off the rack. And uh, it's interesting, because Brian was offered huge venues in 1964. He was offered the uh, you know Tiger Stadium, 50,000 people. He had been offered Fenway Park, 30,000 people in Boston. He'd uh, been offered even the L.A. Coliseum, 80,000 people. And to Brian's credit, I mean, as, you know, all these rock and roll managers, we hear about how greedy they are. Uh, he decided to uh, quell down the, the crowd a little bit, and he decided to take smaller venues. You know, he took uh, places like, you know, the Cow Palace in San Francisco and Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver, you know, smaller 10,000, 15,000, 20,000-seat venues um, to where um, he would create a pent-up demand for their return the next year. But they really weren't coming with a social message. I mean, they look, they did a lot of press conferences during that first tour of America. In the 33-day tour, they did 25 formal press conferences, and they were, of course, asked silly questions like, what did you eat for breakfast, and when is your fame going to end? But what's interesting, Chuck, is they also asked questions about race relations in America, which the Beatles were um, absolutely against uh, segregated seating in their concerts. As a matter of fact, they had a contract stipulation that didn't allow for segregated seating in their, right. in their venues, and they held okay, that. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. Sit tight. Chuck Gunderson's my guest. Some fun tonight. Down that radio. If this sounds familiar, you know it's time to address your hearing loss. But custom hearing aids can cost as much as $5,000 each and are not covered by Medicare. The good news is MD Hearing Aid offers medical-grade, FDA-registered hearing aids for savings of up to 90% over traditional hearing aids. MD Hearing Aid was founded by a Chicago surgeon determined to develop a hearing aid that was technologically advanced, simple to use, and most of all, affordable. Call 1-800-485-4408. You'll speak with a trained MD hearing aid professional who will match you with the best hearing aid for your needs. Over 100,000 satisfied customers have already made the call. Call right now for our exclusive 45-day risk-free trial and get free shipping and a year's worth of free batteries, a $50 value. But you have to call right now. 
Call MD Hearing Aid at 1-800-485-4408. That's 1-800-485-4408. Hi, I'm Joan London. When I needed to find senior care for my mom, I really struggled to find the right fit until I found an advisor, someone who had been through this before. That's why I recommend A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. They have experts who will help you ask the right questions and find the right place. Call A Place for Mom today. To speak with a local senior living advisor, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-469-7591. That's 1-800-469-7591. A Place for Mom has helped over 200,000 families find the right senior care for their parents, from assisted living to independent living, even Alzheimer's care, and have local advisors that can help explain your options at no cost to you. To speak with the local senior living advisor, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-469-7591. That's 1-800-469-7591. Call today. If you get up to use the bathroom multiple times a night, if you've ever had to rush to get to a bathroom or worried that a hard laugh or cough could cause an embarrassing accident, if bladder control issues are a real concern for you or your aging parents, please listen to this important message. Healthy Control is an all-natural bladder control formula with ingredients proven to relieve urgency, reduce frequency of urination, reduce embarrassing bladder leakage, and the number of nighttime trips to the bathroom. Now we're giving away a free 30-day supply to callers from this area. Call 800-918-4177 now for details. With Healthy Control, you'll feel more confident and comfortable and finally get a full night's sleep again. Take charge of when and how often you go to the bathroom. Call now for details on how to receive your free 30-day supply of Healthy Control at 800-918-4177. Hurry, this free offer will not last long. Call 800-918-4177 to find out how to get your free 30-day supply of Healthy Control. That's 800-918-4177. Again, 800-918-4177. I'm Wade Hayes, country music singer and advanced colorectal cancer advocate. Because of what I've been through, I'm partnering with Genentech to raise awareness of advanced colorectal cancer. The day my doctor told me that I no longer had evidence of the disease, he told me to go live my life. It was a life-changing moment for me inspired my new song. I hope Go Live Your Life can help motivate anyone going through a difficult time. For every iTunes download of my song, Genentech will make a donation of $1 up to $50,000 to the Colon Cancer Alliance Blue Note Fund, a nonprofit that supports people with advanced colorectal cancer. Visit goliveyourlife.com to learn more about what Wade is doing. You will also find exclusive content, including behind-the-scenes footage of Wade. Genentech is the sponsor of this segment. The information provided today is for educational purposes. It does not take the place of talking to your doctor about your medical condition or your treatment. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much, and uh, we're joined by Chuck Gunderson. The book is the two-volume set, Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964-1966. You know, Chuck, I get the sense that the Beatles themselves, they never really understood or appreciated their own impact on on society and, and on the culture. Um, and uh, perhaps they, they never really harnessed that impact um, in a way that, that could have uh, brought forth messages. But yet 
This book shows otherwise. I mean, you, as you say, they they were very much against um, segregation, and they, you know, they had um, they had black acts as their opening act, um, at least um, in their first tour, and uh, and then I think that of of the four of them, um, one of the I've always admired John Lennon as sort of the um, he was sort of a truth teller, you know, he's the one that would step out and. And um, I guess you might say spill the beans a little bit. He'd go off the script, you know, when he mentioned that the the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, and um, you know, and he did so with with a sense of irony that he always seemed to have. Um, and also that um, I think there was one incident where, when they came out on a porch at a hotel and there were crowds below, he started to do a, a, a Nazi salute. You know, basically as sort of a, a sardonic, right? I mean, kind of a sardonic commentary on. Let's look at this. This is like what the not what Hitler did. I mean, he had this mass media, and there would be this hysterical crowds. I mean, it almost reminded him of that. And uh, and he spoke out about it, or he he kind of played upon. He kind of did it in his own, you know, sarcastic way. But but he was always uh, one to uh, to to tell the truth. Um, you know, that, that seems to be, in a sense, a little bit what their popularity, an element of what their popularity was like. Yeah, I mean, they were consummate professionals, let's face it. Um, here they were, you know, in America on that first tour of 1964, and they were, they just crisscrossed all over the United States and Canada. They had hit 24 cities, and they had played 33 concerts, and I mean, 32 concerts in 33 days. And, uh, of course, at these press conferences, they were asked about social issues, the segregation in America and, uh, you know, civil rights, things like that. They were asked about the presidential election at the time, which was between LBJ and Goldwater. Um, and they were asked about Vietnam, which they were all vehemently opposed to. And uh, But they kind of answered the questions in, in a somewhat flippant, flippant way, you know, they they were cheeky in their in their comments back to the press, but still getting their message across, which um, you know I really appreciated. And uh, so they did change people's thinking, especially the younger generation. That yeah, you know, hey, the Beatles are saying they're against the Vietnam War. We can speak out against it as well. I mean, um, you know, civil rights in America, uh, they were ahead of their time. And like you said, you know, they had African American acts. Uh, on the 64 tour, and they had them on the 65 tour, and they had them on the 66 tour. And uh, when they were in Jacksonville uh, on, the, on the 64 tour in September, they were booked to stay at the George Washington Hotel. And uh, when the manager of the hotel said, well, uh, Frogman Henry and the Exciters, you're going to have to go stay at another hotel, uh, the Beatles and Brian Epstein canceled the reservation. They played the show at Jacksonville at the Gator Bowl. They got on a plane and they hightailed it out of there to the next city, which was Boston, Massachusetts. That's right. Yeah, you you have that in one of the dates, and uh, the uh, the actual experience of these tours, um, I get the sense that it was, uh, you know, it was very grueling because of the crowds and because of the recognition, which was unprecedented, and because of the constant security around them, that they just were basically holed up in their hotels. They didn't get out to see any sites. They didn't, um, you know, did they, you know, were they able to um, kind of go uh, incognito and maybe stay with friends or, or, you know, you always have these people 
at least now, and I know somebody in Boston who does this, who actually puts people up, you know, like, and they, they cook them a home-cooked meal. And, you know, this guy that, that I know, he, he did this with John Lennon, who he said was really not a nice guy, but nevertheless, you know, he knows like the who and he knows the Stones. Did the Beatles do that on this tour, or were they just simply, you know, restricted to their hotel rooms? They were pretty much restricted to their hotel rooms. Um, there's a few incidences where they went out. I know in Seattle, they uh, Paul and Ringo visited the Space Needle. They had to go on the floorboards of a car in the middle of the night. They had to wake up security to uh, get them up to the tower, but... In planning the tour, uh, Brian really thought that because America was so large and because he probably thought the Beatles were not as, as popular as they were in the U.K., that they could get out, get out and do things. And in, um, All right, you know, Chuck, we've we got a break for news here. So since I will be back after news, Chuck Gunderson is my guest. We're talking about the Beatles. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pen and jot down this special number. Call 800-919-8536. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for much less money. Call 800-919-8536. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99. Best of all, there's no equipment to buy. You get free HDTV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you want. Watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows. Pause and rewind live TV. Even skip the commercials and watch local channels too. At just nineteen ninety nine, what are you waiting for? Call eight hundred nine one nine eight five three six. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut cost and get more. Call today eight hundred nine one nine eight five three six. That's eight hundred nine one nine eight five three six. Again eight hundred nine one nine eight five three six. Musicians, now through April 19th at Guitar Center, over 50,000 guitars will be marked down under $100. In-store and online, choose from a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars. Get incredible savings from brands like Fender, Squire, Epiphone, Ibanez, ESP, Washburn, Schecter, and more. Over 50,000 guitars under 100 bucks. With the greatest selection and our low-price guarantee, any player can find the guitar of their dreams. Hurry, it absolutely ends April 19th. Don't miss your chance to save at Guitar Center. Now, kid, I know you look at me and think, man, that guy knows everything. And you're right, I do. But occasionally even I get stumped. I know, hard to believe. But when I need help, I get it from Granger. Granger can solve just about anything, from finding the right products to advice on installation to troubleshooting. Granger gets me what I need right when I need it. When a guru needs a guru, who does a guru call? Guru calls Granger. Get it? Got it? Good. Call, click Granger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Chuck Morse speaks. Some fun tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964-1966. So, Chuck, we're talking a little bit about the... um, the actual experience for the Beatles, which, to my, to my way of thinking, given the fact that this was the first time this was ever done with a tour like this, I mean, subsequently you have now this uh, this is a regular fixture in, in the culture. 
you know, every summer or constantly of big bands doing the tours. I mean, I think that Led Zeppelin picked it up, and then eventually they all do it. Uh, but the Beatles were the first. They were the trailblazers. Um, there was a lot of unknowns. And as you say, uh, Brian Epstein was very uh, good and sophisticated as a manager in terms of uh, sort of marshalling their resources and properly placing them in various venues and in various settings. But uh, it must have been kind of a drain for them, you know, to be uh, out there performing the same songs that, um, you know, you couldn't even hear them because they had those old Marshall amps. And, uh, you know, there was no, um, you know, they, they, you know, there was all the screaming. Um, w- you know, talk a little bit about uh, what you learned about how they uh, dealt with the, um, you know, the actual experiences of this, the constant, um, you know, the, were they just uh, nose to the grindstone pros or what did they, what was it like? Well, in 1964 alone, uh, Brian Epstein had him booked to play 215 concerts. Uh, around, you know, on that tour and in the UK. And you really wonder, you know, how did they accomplish all these other things? I mean, they were doing TV appearances. They were writing songs. They were working in Abbey Road Studios, cutting albums, uh, appearances everywhere. I mean, I don't know how they managed to do this creative force that they did and then go on this, these grueling, you know, tours all over the world. And, uh, you know, they didn't see anything in America. They thought they could, but they really didn't. One of the places they really wanted to see, which was really a curious choice why it was even chosen, was the stop in Las Vegas in 1964. Las Vegas isn't what we know of it today. I mean, back then there was only 100,000 people living there, and the average city the Beatles played in 1964, if you throw out New York, Chicago, and L.A., was about 800 to 900,000 city population. So they come into Vegas thinking that they're going to, you know, go in the casino unnoticed and have some fun. That wasn't the case at all. They flew into Vegas. They went over to the Sahara Hotel, uh, prisoners in their hotel room. They they played the concert. They did a press conference. They did two concerts in Vegas you know, the same day, a few hours apart, and never got out of the hotel room. And as a matter of fact, the Sahara felt so bad for them that they even brought up slot machines into their room so they could dabble around on the slots, but uh, they didn't see anything of Las Vegas at all. Did they ever try to go out incognito in disguise? Yeah, there was a few uh, places, not really much so much in disguise, but uh, when they started the tour in San Francisco in 64, uh, a few of them went to a nightclub in, in San Francisco. Uh, there was uh, the Space Needle visit in Seattle in 1964, um, in 1965, they actually, after the White Sox Park show, uh, they got into the limousine and they went into a uh, ice cream Sunday shop called Marge's Candies. It's a it's a famous landmark in Chicago and Bucktown, and they actually sat in the back and devoured these atomic blaster Sundays. Uh, fortunately, we don't have any. Unfortunately, we don't have any pictures of that event. I don't know how it how they even accomplished doing that. Uh, but no, they hardly ever got out of their hotel room to see anything that America had to offer. But in the course of their, their tour, they also had a lot of meetings with American uh, musicians. I think particularly notable was Elvis and uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, talk a bit about that. Yeah, so in 1964, the first tour, uh, they were playing two shows at the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium. 
And uh, they got Bob Dylan. Chuck will be right back. We'll be right back. Some fun tonight is the book. We'll be right back. We're talking The Beatles. A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show Chuck Morse Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a heavy 100 radio talk host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Morse speaks, people listen. They're taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the, the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world. To hear Chuck live, go to usaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the on-demand page at deborahray.us. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Red Wing Shoes salutes the modern craftsman. Here's to the hard-working, earth-moving crew. For all the grades you make and the dirty work you do. You truly can move mountains, mister, you don't mess around. Thanks to you, we're all on level ground. Find the right boots for your job at your local Red Wing retailer. Did you have a baby last year? Or did you not have a baby last year despite all the subtle hints your mom kept dropping? Like building that crib and asking for a number one grandma mug for Christmas? Even though that's not how it works, you can't just ask to be awarded number one grandma no matter what you went through last year. Answering questions like, did you have a baby, is much simpler. Intuit TurboTax. It's amazing what you're capable of. Taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. My guest is Chuck Gunderson. We're talking about the Beatles tours, 1964, 1966. The uh, two volume set, Some Fun Tonight. So, um, my my understanding about it is, according to John Lennon's uh, interview with the Rolling Stone magazine, Lennon remembers, was that uh, Dylan turned them on to dope. Anyway, Chuck, talk about the the meeting with Bob Dylan and with Elvis. 
Yeah, so uh, they were playing the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium in 64 in New York, and uh, they were staying at the Delmonico Hotel, and after the show, uh, Bob Dylan had uh, came to visit them. He had been wanting to meet them for a long time. And, uh, of course, uh, in that room in the Delmonico, uh, Bob and his manager had uh, sneaked some marijuana into the into the room, and they uh, all partake, partook at that time. So that kind of was the start of the... Uh, the Beatles and their uh, marijuana experience. They'd had it before, but it wasn't uh, the type of quality it was here in the, in the States. Um, and then in uh, 1965, they, they finally uh, met Elvis. Uh, they had been wanting to meet them. Obviously, Elvis was the one that turned them on to, to their craft and what they wanted to do in their life. And it was a really kind of a hastily arranged meeting. Uh, it was, Elvis was in L.A. at the time, uh, staying in his Bel Air mansion. And uh, so uh, it was arranged that they all would go over there and meet Elvis. And uh, the Brian Epstein went, the four Beatles went, uh, the road manager went, the press officer went. Uh, there was no photographs allowed, no recordings allowed. Uh, There's a lot that went on. Uh, we hear uh, evidence from the Memphis Mafia from Elvis's side. We also hear from the Beatles side that uh, it was uh, the ice was took a long time to break. Um, but there was some music that was played. There was, uh, you know, talking and, and discussing things, and uh, the meeting went well, but that was the only time they ever had met, and uh, the Beatles even invited Elvis to come back to their, their digs in, in the Hollywood Hills, but he declined. So, yeah, during those tours, they, they were able to meet those type of individuals. They met the beach part of the Beach Boys in Portland when they played there in 65. So, yeah, during all those tours... You know, musical stars wanted to meet uh, the people that were shaking the world in music. Sure. So they, um, you know, they basically were revered across the board. I mean, and and emulated. Um, okay, we'll be. We got another break here. We'll be right back. Chuck Gunderson is my guest. Some fun tonight. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question: Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by called God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. And uh, the book is Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America. Uh, Chuck Gunderson's my guest. Chuck, by the third tour, the summer of 1966, it seems that the Beatles really were exhausted and um, they really were going through the motions. Can you talk a little bit about that period? 
Yeah, when the 66 tour had started, it, uh, again, you know, it started off uh, really positive and everything, but then John Lennon had made those comments in the UK about them be- being bigger than Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, he was misquoted. And, uh, when that hit the American press, especially in the teen magazines in early August, right before the tour started, ticket sales just completely stagnated. And by that time, uh, Brian was booking stadiums, you know, Cleveland Stadium and bigger, bigger venues. And, um, he almost canceled the tour. He flew to America to try to quell the firestorm that was happening in the press. Uh, there were Beatles records being burned and you know DJs from around the country were trying to uh you know conservative DJs were trying to uh derail the tour and so Brian had flown to America to try to to stop this and he actually even considered canceling the whole tour and refunding everybody the promoters their guarantees and again to Brian's credit um, he he actually reduced the guarantees that the promoters were paying uh, just to keep the tour going. And uh, so by the time they hit Chicago to open up the tour in 66, uh, a lot less fanfare, uh, fewer seats sold. Of course, the Beatles by this point, the, the difficulty of recreating their new music that they were releasing on record was impossible due to sound technology. When Revolver was released, it was a week before the tour started. They didn't play one song off the Revolver album because they simply couldn't recreate it on stage. So that was one of the big reasons they gave up touring was was uh, not being able to keep pace with the music on stage. So the uh, the actual music uh, on that last tour was probably just not good. I mean, it was uh, they, they probably weren't engaged with it. It was their old stuff, and they had moved on from it. And I think that. Um, I know in a way, just from having read interviews over the years with John Lennon in particular and others, they, they almost like really wanted to turn a page. They were, they didn't want to, they, they, he, Lennon actually has made derogatory comments about their early music. Probably they were tired of it because it was, you know, playing it every night and, and having the, um, the noise and all of that. You know, he, he put it all down and he said that we've now moved into a new era. And uh, that there was almost a bitterness about that last tour. That uh, they, w- you know, they were all very adamant about the, the the contention that they would never go out and tour again. That they would never do another live gig, and that they never did. Yeah, I kind of uh, depart from most historians on on this fact, and and that is is that you know you're correct in the assumption that. You know, they're, they, they wanted to turn a page. I mean, look, the, people were coming to these concerts not to hear the music, but to see them and uh, as some sort of uh, sideshow. Uh, but my, my feeling is, is that these guys were musicians, first and foremost. They didn't start their career in a, in a, in a sterile recording studio. They, they, they began their career on the sweat and the sweaty stages, the humid, hot stages, smoke-filled stages of Liverpool and Hamburg. And they were musicians. And when they got on that stage, whether it was the Cavern in Liverpool or whether it was Shea Stadium in New York, you know, the largest venue they ever played to the most people, um, they loved playing music on stage and together doing that. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the lark of touring, as Paul called it, 
it was grinding on them, you know, going city to city and stuck in hotel rooms and all that. But when they got on that stage, things transformed. And I believe that they even had a great time. The final show they ever did, you know, August 29th, 1966 at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Um, so when they left that stage, you know, they obviously went into the studio for the rest of their career. But as evidence today, Paul still goes out and tours. Ringo still goes out and yeah. tours. They love to play music. That is their craft. That is what they love to do. Yeah, I, I think that that's quite clear. And, um, you know, maybe they, um, you know, they, they, they love the public aspect. And obviously, I, th- I think, well, obviously, but I think once they, they stopped touring as a band, they, they started to, um, you know, go, go different directions as people. And, um, you know, it sort of was the end of it. I mean, in a sense, they, they were ultimately and always had been a, a live touring band. Exactly. And uh, as you know, after the 66 tour concluded, they went back into the studio. And, and, and probably if they had not concluded touring, who knows? Maybe we never would have gotten Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> Thousands of Americans are losing weight and feeling better with the 10 Tuna Chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Here is U.S. Army Sergeant Dave Myers. Since I started taking the Nuvina probably, I want to say 60, 65 days ago, I have lost over 12 pounds. I have a long military career, and it has caused some issues with my knees and my ankles over the years, and I have become accustomed to just being in pain with one of those areas. I can only attribute the way I feel to the Nuvina because that's the only thing that's changed in my diet, and I am absolutely pain-free in knees and ankles, and it just feels great to be able to get out and run around and move pain-free again. The Nufina Collagen Protein Shake is part of the 10 2 and a chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Collagen feeds the joints, hair, and skin. This could help you lose weight, feel better, and look younger. Watch the video on ilikehowilook.com and get the full story. They even offer free samples. Go to ilikehowilook.com. Chuck Morse Speaks. Thanks so much. Uh, Chuck Gunderson's my guest. The excellent two-volume set, Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America. What a great uh, series, Chuck. Great insights into that tour. You've done a true documentarian's work here uh, of, 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 of displaying the, uh, the tour concert by concert with great pictures, great interviews, great insights. Uh, discussions about uh, the the bands that opened for them, which is really interesting. Uh, Chuck, let let my list, you know, give me. We only have a few minutes here left, so give me a few final thoughts and let my listeners know how they could get your excellent book. Yeah, so you can get the book on Amazon, of course, and you can also go to my website at somefuntonight.com. Um, again, uh, the book is two volumes. It's in a slipcase. It weighs over thirteen pounds. You know, it's, uh, I did all the bells and whistles on it, the extra thick paper, the spot varnish on all the photos. There's over 600 images in it. There's, uh, most of them are unpublished photos. And, uh, you're gonna see the contracts, the documents, all the memorabilia that went along with the show. It's truly exhaustive work. And I think, uh, your listeners will really enjoy it. You bet. All right, Chuck, listen, I want to thank you for joining me. It's an excellent book. 
Uh, you know, we really are only scratching the surface in terms of analyzing the Beatles. I hope to have you back sometime to to continue uh, the, the talk when we have more time. So, again, thanks so much uh, for joining me this afternoon. Thanks, Chuck. It's been great being with you. All right. Take care. Okay, so that's Chuck Gunderson. He is the author of the Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964-1966. And, uh, you know, it's just a good, uh, you know, moment-by-moment documentation of the greatest band ever, um, in my opinion. I mean, maybe that's a generational thing, but there hasn't been anything quite like the Beatles since. Um I've done some programming over the years on this. I, I actually, well, I'll get into this maybe in the second hour, but I got in trouble <laughs> because of an article I wrote about the Beatles that I believe it was on like a small publication. When I ran for Congress, it was dredged up by a reporter who, um, who held this up as a, as a shocking uh, article. I'll talk about it when we come back. You're listening to the USA Radio Network. We'll be back after these. This report brought to you by MedLife Defender. A growing number of Americans are finding that their tax refunds have already been claimed by identity thieves. The IRS reported that 1.6 million Americans were victims of tax ID theft in 2013, a number that is likely to grow this year. Because identity thieves often file fraudulent returns early, most taxpayers do not find out about the fraud until their legitimate return is rejected. The first step taxpayers should take is report the fraud to the IRS. Gene Werner, Senior Vice President at MetLife, says it's important for tax fraud victims to act fast to minimize the damage. An identity thief who has enough information to file a fake tax return might also use that information to commit other types of fraud. So it's important to keep an eye on all your accounts. MetLife Defender offers consumers a solution to proactively monitor their personal data across the Internet and help eliminate threats before they lead to issues like identity theft or tax fraud. To learn more about what to do if you are a victim of tax fraud, visit MetLifeDefender.com. Did you know by age 50, half of all men have an enlarged prostate? This means more urges to urinate, longer bathroom trips, waking at night to urinate, or issues with sex. If this sounds familiar, call us now, because we're shipping free bottles of Super Beta Prostate to listeners of this station. Super Beta Prostate is a non-prescription formula guaranteed to reduce the symptoms of your enlarged prostate. It's yours free. Pay only shipping and handling. Just call 1-800-391-6916. In clinical trials, the ingredient in Superbeta prostate was shown to reduce urges to urinate, improve bladder emptying, reduce waking at night to urinate, and improve quality of life. This Superbeta prostate free offer is for listeners of this station, but it won't last. Don't wait. Just call 1-800-391-6916. That's 1-800-391-6916. Call 1-800-391-6916. A Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks. Thanks so much. Hour number two of Chuck Moore Speaks here at the USA Radio Networks. You're welcome to join the program, 919-896-8198. 
919-896-8198. What is on your mind this afternoon, eh? Just had on Chuck Gunderson. He's the author of Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964-1966. This is a two-volume set. They are beautiful books. I mean, these are real coffee table books. Anyone who is uh, interested in the Beatles specifically or just the history of the the 1960s generally, uh, you may want to check this out. I was very, very happy to get this. I've never gotten such a great book, uh, a literally physically a great book, uh, in the mail as a radio talk show host. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't believe it when this arrived. You know, usually they send you like a a single soft cover or a hard cover. This was like a in a big box with a with a case and it. It's just a beautiful presentation with great pictures, interviews, insights on the Beatles tours date by date. I was of course interested in looking up their experiences in Boston because that's where I am. And uh, I have a, a pretty I have a vague but a but a definitive memory of it. Um, and of course, I was a huge fan of the the Beatles after they stopped touring. Uh, you know, with some of the brilliant uh, work they did. You know, Sgt. Pepper and the White Album and Abbey Road. I, mean, I think that Abbey Road's B side is one of the finest recordings ever made, and they did that just on a four track tape recorder. Uh, you know, they they just uh, you know they continue to um, to have incredible uh, output. Um, my criticism of the Beatles, as I mentioned, and of course no one is above criticism, was that I wrote a a, a column that uh, came back to bite me in 2004 when I ran for Congress in Massachusetts. I don't know why this would have been viewed as an issue in a congressional race, but um, a reporter at the uh, at the Patriot Ledger. Um, which is a you know a fairly sizable paper here in Boston in the Boston area. Uh, but his name was John Banner, I believe. He um, he uncovered this uh, article that had been published on a small opinion website, where I brought up two criticisms or two analysis of the Beatles, and it was written at the time when the Beatles had released. Uh, I think it was their anthology, or there, were, there was some event that brought the Beatles into the news. And I'd written it years before I was thinking of running for Congress. So it had nothing to do with politics per se. But what I, I wrote about was that the, uh, I kind of implied this in my talk with uh, Chuck Gunderson, that the Beatles phenomena, particularly in the United States, with, with, with the Beatlemania and with women and screaming and, and literally changing, in a sense, their configuration. Um, that John Lennon, again, who was a truth teller, said that it reminded him of, of the, uh, the Nazis or the German response to Hitler during the, in the 1930s when Hitler would have these mass rallies and women were fainting and, and you, know, you know, throwing their arms in the air in a Zig Heil salute. And that the, the Nazis, and I've done some research on this, and I've had some authors, they, they were very adept at the manipulation of media in a way that would appeal to the most raw aspects of a person's emotion and, and kind of almost a group think or a, 
a group hypnotism, if you will. And the way they did it was by using all of the media in a coordinated and, and, and premeditated way. Like those Nazi rallies at, at, at Nuremberg, particularly, as filmed by uh, Lenny Weifenstahl, the great uh, Nazi um, you know, documentarian, it showed, you know, they would, they would do it at night with these huge bonfires. So you had like a, the, this energy flowing and there was a, the smells of burning fire. And, and, and then they would have like, they would blast Wagner music over loudspeakers. It was the first time that had ever been done. They had enormous physical and, and visual imagery with these massive banners with the swastikas and the logos. I mean, the swastika was really basically a logo. You know, it was sort of like, uh, you know, any, any branding. I mean, we call it branding now. With these huge coordinated shows of, of force with people dressed in fancy regalia, marching out in, in a coordinated way. With, with shouts and with, you know, in, in other words, it, it almost used a certain kind of, of, um, of, of sensory deprivation, if you will, you know, where, where you would become, where someone would become, uh, you know, utterly consumed by the experience. You, you'd get wrapped up in it. Um, you know, c- casinos in Las Vegas use this, this psychology. You know, if you ever notice, if you go to a casino in Las Vegas or, at Foxwoods here near Boston, there were no windows. There were no clocks on the wall. There's, they, they emit a certain kind of uh, aroma, you know, like kind of a, a, a almost a perfumed-like atmosphere. The uh, the machines themselves have all kinds of interesting and and odd noises that they make with the ringing and the bells and and the clicking sounds, and, and it's all meant to sort of create a, a sensory deprivation. You almost forget where you are. You forget who you are. You forget that you're even, you know, you, you lose a sense of of time. And the result is that, that a person can develop this kind of a, a euphoric feeling that they're floating. And before you know it, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't take much for them to empty their wallets and their bank accounts because they're just, you know, they're wrapped up in the experience. You know, they've been kind of transformed, if you will, by the experience. And um, I speculated about whether or not this was part of Beatlemania. And I'm not suggesting that the Beatles themselves were consciously a part of this. But it did to me seem like perhaps a social experiment of the type that was being conducted at that time. Um by the CIA, which was conducting, uh, you know, experiments with psychotropic drugs. I mean, you had Ram Das, who was at the time a professor at Harvard, um, who was expelled from Harvard. He was the only professor in history to be expelled from Harvard, as was Timothy Leary, the two of them, who was experimenting, who turned out to have had connections with the CIA, and they were experimenting with LSD. Um, in California, you had Jolion West and several other therapists giving LSD to people on the street to see, you know, like, in other words, there was this sort of experimentation with mind-altering substances and with experiences by not only the CIA, but also by with the, 
the British, uh, you know, MI5 and the Tavistock Institute and a lot of these agencies that had started this sort of experiment in the peer, probably in the period leading up to and during World War II. And of course, the Nazis were doing a lot of this stuff too. I mean, they, they had Mengler and they were doing physical experiments in people. And I'm not suggesting that, but I'm suggesting that there was sort of a, um, there were ongoing experiments, and certainly the Soviets brought this up to a very fine art, um, with uh, manipulating people's minds and senses and perceptions. And I wonder if the Beatles were not a part of that, if probably unwittingly. I don't, I don't know if they themselves were aware of it. So I brought this up, and of course I was called crazy and you know, tin, tin hat uh, conspiracy theorist. Um, I, I'm not suggesting anything like that in the formal sense because I don't have evidence of it. And I'm not bringing it up to take away from the Beatles themselves, who were, I think, the most brilliant of you know, brilliant musicians and hardworking guys, as demonstrated by Chuck's book here. But I wonder if the whole media event, you know, the invasion of America and the and the the way it was marketed and the you know the the print marketing and the the sound and the the anticipation and the build up if this didn't have an element to it that was meant not only to see if massive nations or, or you know numbers of people millions of people could be affected and somehow manipulated but if it wasn't also an attempt to introduce certain elements of an agenda ultimately to people on a mass scale. And, I mean, Archibald McLeish, the, uh, ther- he wrote about this. This isn't something I'm just making up here. C. Wright Mills, the uh, socialist uh, so- sociologist of the 1950s, wrote about this in his book, The Power Elite. Um, I wonder if the Beatles weren't part of an experiment like that. So that was the first thing I brought up. The second thing I brought up that was even more controversial and that got me in even bigger trouble was that I pointed out that the Beatles, maybe certainly inadvertently, but in a way that was unwise in my opinion, starting with the Sgt. Pepper's album and right through to the end, they glamorized drug use in the world. Now, I'm not suggesting that other musicians didn't use drugs. Of course they did. Go back to the 1930s, Gene Krupa, the uh, the drummer for uh, for some of the big bands. I think he was with Glenn Miller, was known to be a drug user, as was uh, Billie Holiday and several others. I mean, it was, in a sense, musicians dabbled in, in various substances. It was part of the creative process. And I, I get that, and that's fine. You know, I hope that they're well, and, you know, you hope people don't become addicted and, uh, you know, it's sort of a, it, it, there's actually, I, I don't see it as bi- a big no-no. But the Beatles did so, the difference with the Beatles was that they did it publicly. And they glamorized it in their song and in their interviews. And they made it look fun. They made it look hip. They made it look like something that, you know, this is like, oh, we're going to create a new consciousness and we're going to create an alternative world. And this, they, they idealized it. They made it look like it would lead you to a better place to experiment with drugs, right? Now, again, I'm not suggesting that they, they were hoping to get people hooked on drugs. 
And I don't think that they were involved with, you know, like heroin. I don't know if they might have been. I think Lennon was briefly. I don't know that, though. But the point is that they made drug use as something that was fashionable and was, you know, to not do it was square and as something that was exciting. I remember it. And I think that was, uh, maybe that was kind of hand in glove with this, uh, you know, this um, subtle uh, emotional mind control possibility. And again, I'm speaking totally off the cuff here. I don't have any proof of any of this. It's just uh, an observation, a thought. And I think that the introduction of drug use as something good was a, a, a very bad thing. The Beatles could do it because, again, they were musicians. They were extremely wealthy. They didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, the day-to-day in, a, in the real sense. You know, they, they, didn't, uh, they weren't suffering, you know, any um, you know, financial deprivations, that's for sure. But the problem is that that glamorization hurt a lot of people, including a lot of people that I knew. Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Bad credit card debt happens to good people. Credit card companies lure you in with low introductory rates or low minimum payments. And before you know it, you owe thousands of dollars in credit card debt. It has happened to millions of good people just like you. But here's the good news. Thanks to a powerful program now approved, anyone with $2,000 or more in credit card debt can cut their credit card payments up to half and even reduce or eliminate interest charges altogether. That's right. Our nationwide nonprofit program is helping U.S. residents cut their credit card payments. Call 800 800- 991-6376 now. The call and information are free. Credit Guard has helped over half a million people with their credit card debt, and now we can help you. Call 800-991-6376 to see how this powerful nonprofit program can work for you. Bad credit card debt happens to good people. Get free of credit card debt today. Call 800-991-6376. That's 800-991-6376. Again, 800-991-6376. Hi, I'm Joan London. When I needed to find senior care for my mom, I really struggled to find the right fit until I found an advisor, someone who had been through this before. That's why I recommend A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. They have experts who will help you ask the right questions and find the right place. Call A Place for Mom today. To speak with the local senior living advisor, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-469-7591. That's 1-800-469-7591. A Place for Mom has helped over 200,000 families find the right senior care for their parents, from assisted living to independent living, even Alzheimer's care, and have local advisors that can help explain your options at no cost to you. To speak with the local senior living advisor, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-469-7591. That's 1-800-469-7591. Call today. If you get up to use the bathroom multiple times a night, if you've ever had to rush to get to a bathroom or worried that a hard laugh or cough could cause an embarrassing accident, if bladder control issues are a real concern for you or your aging parents, please listen to this important message. Healthy Control is an all-natural bladder control formula with ingredients proven to relieve urgency, reduce frequency of urination, reduce embarrassing bladder leakage, and the number of nighttime trips to the bathroom. Now we're giving away a free 30-day supply to callers from this area. Call 800-918-4177 now for details. With Healthy Control, you'll feel more confident and comfortable and finally get a full night's sleep again. 
Take charge of when and how often you go to the bathroom. Call now for details on how to receive your free 30-day supply of healthy control at 800-918-4177. Hurry, this free offer will not last long. Call 800-918-4177 to find out how to get your free 30-day supply of healthy control. That's 800-918-4177. Again, 800-918-4177. Turn down that radio! If this sounds familiar, you know it's time to address your hearing loss. But custom hearing aids can cost as much as $5,000 each and are not covered by Medicare. The good news is MD Hearing Aid offers medical-grade, FDA-registered hearing aids for savings of up to 90% over traditional hearing aids. MD Hearing Aid was founded by a Chicago surgeon determined to develop a hearing aid that was technologically advanced, simple to use, and most of all, affordable. Call 1-800-485-4408. You'll speak with a trained MD Hearing Aid professional who will match you with the best hearing aid for your needs. Over 100,000 satisfied customers have already made the call. Call right now for our exclusive 45-day risk-free trial and get free shipping and a year's worth of free batteries, a $50 value. But you have to call right now. Call MD Hearing Aid at 1-800-485-4408. That's 1-800-485-4408. You'll want to listen when Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. And uh, we're back here. Of course, you to join the program. 919-896-8198 is the number. 919-896-8198. I've, uh, I've got a comment on a story that is just coming across the wires here. It was reported during our news break on the top of the hour. And... Uh, this is one of those things that may not seem like a big deal to many, but uh, it really strikes at, at my thinking here, and, and that is that President Obama and uh, his, uh, his aide uh, there have come out with a, a statement calling for the banning of what's called conversion therapy for gays and transgenders. In other words, they want to ban a form of therapy that would counsel gay people uh, or people who are thinking of a transgender operation and who might uh, have second thoughts about it. They want to ban this kind of therapy. Now, let's, let's just put aside the, uh, the therapy itself for a second and ask the question. Has our government in history or today ever banned any kind of voluntary therapy? Have they ever reached into our psychiatric community, our psychological community, and banned a therapy? Now, look, I can see banning, uh, you know, I suppose shock therapy <laughs> or, or some of the other practices like that, maybe, because those are physically damaging to someone. You know, you don't want to, you want to ban torture. But it seems to me that this is the first time that any government agency and a president of the United States has suggested banning a voluntary form of therapy of any sort. I mean, you know, this is like, uh, calling for the banning of the Communist Party. (laughs) 
back in the you know back in 1950, it was Senator uh, Hubert Humphrey of Minnesota who put forth a bill in Congress calling for the criminalization of membership in the U.S. in the Communist Party, that it would be banned, that you would be a you could be charged with a crime if you joined the Communist Party, and uh, and that that was seen as too extreme for Senator Joe McCarthy, who came out against that. He said, look, I want to identify people who are in the Communist Party, especially if they're working in the State Department and in the United States because there's questions of their their loyalty to our government. But I'm not going to call for the banning of any party. I don't see any difference between this and a government that come, can come in and ban a political opinion or a political organization because they may embrace views that are not popular and that are not seen as mainstream. And I think that even a discussion by the Obama administration particularly, given the fact that they have displayed a propensity for wanting to regulate more aspects of our private life, for them to talk about banning any kind of therapy is something that ought to set off some pretty big red flags. Now, they are picking on conversion therapies for gays and transgenders because they think that this is something that's unpopular, that people have scorn for. How dare somebody try to suggest that a person who has same-sex attractions or a person who thinks that they're actually a man or a woman even though they were born in the opposite gender's body. How dare someone think that somebody like that might be able to change, as if this is how, the, this is how it is. You know, you're born that way. You know, they, they buy the idea that there is a gay gene, or maybe even a transgender gene. And uh, putting aside the question of whether or not that's true, I would suggest that there's simply not enough known about that to make that determination, that science has not proven it, firstly, and secondly, that to the degree that that is stated, it's still, you know, a theoretical statement. And that uh, it seems to me that in a free society such as ours, if a person has same-sex attractions or if a person thinks that they might be the other gender and they want to undergo like a a change of of gender, and that that person wants to explore the, the psychological element of it, maybe they don't think it's something that really does express their true nature, that, that they ought to be able to do so, as long as it's voluntary, which of course all therapy is. This is a special broadcast. At 4.10 p.m. today, I died. I died. And yet here I am. Why? I am a messenger of God. Friday, April 17th. This is the beginning. A star fell from heaven. It changed us and gave us a new destiny to stop the devil himself. Wait, you mean like the devil devil? The end will begin. We're the angels of the apocalypse. The Messengers, series premiere only on The CW. Would you wait several days for your shower to get hot? 
Would you wait several days to feel the full effect of relief from your nasal congestion? Flonase Allergy Relief Nasal Spray could take that long. Ugh. But if you're congested now and you want powerful relief now, use Afrin No Drip. Afrin starts working in seconds uh. and keeps working for 12 hours. So why wait several days to feel the full effect? Uh-uh. You can start to get relief in seconds with Afrin. Uh. Afrin, powerful congestion relief without the wait. Use as directed. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pen and jot down this special number. Call 800-919-8536. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for much less money. Call 800-919-8536. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99. Best of all, there's no equipment to buy. You get free HDTV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you want. When you watch it, record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials and watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Call 800-919-8536. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut cost and get more. Call today, 800-919-8536. That's 800-919-8536. Again, 800-919-8536. Author, journalist, and American patriot. This is Chuck Morse Speaks. Okay, so I'm looking at this business of the government deciding or calling for the banning of a, of a particular kind of therapy, right? And in this case, it's uh, gay and transgender. So let's just take a look here. This is Fox News. Obama backs ban on conversion therapy for gay transgender youth. President Barack Obama is calling for an end to psychiatric therapy treatments aimed at changing the sexual orientation or gender identity of gay, lesbian, and transgender youth. Now, you know, first of all, the, 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 that portrayal is not exactly accurate. Uh, I've interviewed some people on this topic. There is no attempt to change someone's, I, you know, gay, lesbian, or transgender identity. All it is is that it involves a person going to a therapist who is unhappy for whatever reason with the fact that they are having these propensities and they want to explore this psychologically. They want to take a look at why they're having these feelings. They want to look at their past. Maybe they want to look at their relationship with their parents or with with the members of the same gender and see if they were healthy growing up. They want to see if they developed proper sexual identity. Um, you know, I've, again, I've interviewed several people who have told me that if a person, you know, first of all, there is no such thing as forced therapy. It's illegal. Therapy is voluntary. Nobody can be forced to have therapy. And secondly, if a person who goes to a therapist with the desire to explore this in a therapeutic context and they decide that they are gay, then there's nothing, there's no problem with that. Usually the therapist will then suggest that they um, see another therapist who, who specializes in therapy for gay people. There's no force involved, in other words. It's simply, you know, ultimately it's up to the individual 
to decide how they want to proceed or whether or not they want to identify or just to learn about it. Nothing more. You know, I think that there are examples, according to therapists I've interviewed, where people undergo this therapy and they do have a, a certain amount of reparation of their, um, you know, their sexual identity issues. And, uh, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. But the point is that it's their right. That's how I see this. It's not harmful. Anyway, let's move on to the article here. The move comes in response to an online petition posted on the White House website following the death of 17-year-old Leela Alcorn. The transgender teen committed suicide in December and left behind writings mentioning religious therapy. Okay. Now, first of all, it's a little bit of a sweep to suggest even if she says so or she mentioned it, I'd like to see what those mentions are, that the religious therapy is to blame for her suicide. I'm not saying it may not be the case. I think that there are people involved in religion, particularly fundamental Christian faiths and others, who might take the wrong approach to something like this. And they might say, oh, well, you know, you're a sinner and that sort of thing which is actually not the best, you know, which I'm critical of. I mean, they should not do that. It's not actually a sin in in the Bible. And if you really read the text, um, you know, you look at the Hebrew text of the, of the Torah, it's not, it, the word abomination is not there. So that's, that's a topic that I think Christians should ought to take stock of. And people saying that ought to be educated about it. But that's not really what's going on with most of this therapy. Um, I think that Leela Elkhorn, and again, I don't know this case, but probably like a lot of young people who are having these sorts of issues, like they, they think that they're actually in, in a, a man in a woman's body or whatnot, that, th- that they have serious psychological problems. A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse, is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show, Chuck Morse Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a heavy 100 radio talk host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Morse Speaks, people listen. They're taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world. To hear Chuck live, go to usaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the On Demand page at deborahray.us. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Maurice Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. 
And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Musicians, now through April 19th at Guitar Center, over 50,000 guitars will be marked down under $100. In-store and online, choose from a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars. Get incredible savings from brands like Fender, Squire, Epiphone, Ibanez, ESP, Washburn, Schechter, and more. Over 50,000 guitars under 100 bucks. With the greatest selection and our low price guarantee, any player can find the guitar of their dreams. Hurry, it absolutely ends April 19th. Don't miss your chance to save at Guitar Center. They say life is about choices. So let me introduce you to one of the best choices you can make in life. Granger Choice. The Granger Choice product line has just about everything we need to keep this place running. From batteries to V-belts, safety to sump pumps, and with Granger Choice, we can trust that every product is dependable and cost-effective. When it comes to making life choices, here's a great one. Granger Choice. Get it? Got it? Good. Call, click Granger.com slash choice or stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. So continuing on here with this Fox News article about uh, President Obama calling calling for banning uh, so-called reparative therapy. In a statement late Wednesday, White House Senior Advisor Valerie Jarrett said the administration supports banning so-called conversion therapy treatments for minors. I like the way they say treatments. It's not a treatment. It's therapy. We share your concern about its potentially devastating effects on the lives of transgender as well as gay, lesbian, and bisexual and queer youth, Jarrett said. The overwhelming scientific evidence demonstrates that conversion therapy, especially when it is practiced on young people, is neither medically nor ethically appropriate and can cause substantial harm. Well, first of all, I'd like to see this so-called overwhelming evidence. And, you know, oftentimes we in the media and in the public let something like that just slide by. Okay, overwhelming evidence. Really? I'd like to see the, the, that in letter and verse. Why, don't, why, why not have an investigation? Why not have, before you start, the government starts banning things, there should be a congressional investigation. First of all, the executive can't just ban something. At least they're not supposed to. And to find out exactly what this therapy is and to hear from all sides of it. You know, they say, well, here's an example of a poor young woman who committed suicide. And it's a tragedy, of course. But how many young people might have committed suicide because they felt a same-sex attraction, they didn't feel comfortable with it, and yet they felt trapped because there was no alternative. They felt they were being told by gay and gay activists, you know, you're born this way, get over it, get used to it, and, and live it. And they, it doesn't work for them. They want to see something else. They want to, you know, they don't want, you know, there's something about it that's not right for them. Isn't that someone's right? Isn't that someone's right to have that, that feeling as they have to be told, oh, there's something wrong with you, you're, you're, you're bigoted or something. And so they feel trapped in 
in something that they they sense for them is not right. Now, again, I'm not being judgmental here because it's something that may be perfectly fine for someone else and is. I mean, if that's what they say it is, I believe it. But it may not be for others. Why do you have a right to impose your values on them? All right, we'll be right back. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. And again, I want to just finish up here with this uh, attempt or this uh, trial balloon, as they call it in the media, to uh, introduce the idea that a certain sort of therapy should be banned. The White House is not explicitly calling for congressional legislation to ban the therapies nationwide. No, they probably want to do it by executive order. But Jared's statement highlights highlighted states that have outlawed the practice and expressed hope that there will be a broader action. You know, I mean, I think that um, it's being outlawed because of pressure brought on by the gay lobby and their various friends who want, you know, to have the door slammed shut on people who may not be interested in being gay. I'm sorry to put it that way, but that's what it seems to me. Now, that's not to suggest that there might not be reforms that ought to be put in place here. You know, I don't think that, uh, you know, we want to go back to the days when back in the 1950s and 60s when people would get electroshock therapy and that kind of thing. That's wrong, and it should be regulated like any therapy. But to tell someone that they simply cannot go and see a therapist and engage in conventional psychotherapy to deal with any issue that they choose to deal with is wrong, and it's it's not the business of the state. You know, if somebody goes to a therapist to deal with uh, marital problems or to deal with various things that they believe are emotional problems for them, you know, then they have a right to do it. I mean, uh, you know, and if someone views same-sex attraction in their life as a problem, who is someone else to say that it's not? What right do they have to say that? Maybe it's not a problem for them, but it may be for someone else. You know, where does that come from? You know, it's up to if, if a young person or an older person or whoever wants to have therapy to explore the origins and the nature of their own sexuality, and they want to have that banned because you're not supposed to 
say any, you're not supposed to discuss homosexuality with your therapist? I mean, hello? I think not. Not a free society. Doesn't make any sense. Now, again, I would agree with them if we're talking about, uh, you know, anything involving coercion, which it doesn't, because that's illegal and someone could be lose their license if they in any way coerce someone. But the idea of discussing and uh, exploring a sexuality, especially for a young person, it, it seems to me to be uh, appropriate, actually. And if they decide they want to be gay, then that's fine. Let them decide based upon having done this therapy. It would make them a healthier gay person, I would think. Maybe they might be more, you know, at peace with it. And, and a lot of gay people aren't. So, you know, to my way of thinking... Any kind of therapy that helps you learn about yourself is good. And uh, this, t- the idea of the government stepping in here and starting to tell that <laughs> tell therapists that they can't engage in it, it's it's wrong. It's authoritarian, and I'm sorry to point it to, point to it, but it's quite typical of this this administration's left leaning agenda. You know, they want to control our lives and our our health care through Obamacare. They want to control our education through the Common Core curriculum. They want to control the environment through Agenda 21. Now they want to control your conversations with your own therapist. And that's what this is about. Let's continue here. The White House says lawmakers in 18 states have introduced legislation similar to measures already in place in California, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C., banning licensed professionals from using conversion therapy on minors. All right, well, again, what do you mean using conversion therapies? It makes it sound awfully sinister. Should we find out what this is? The American Psychiatric Association has long opposed conversion therapy, which the organization says is based on the assumption that homosexuality is a mental disorder. You know, I think that the term mental disorder is a little strong. My Again, I've interviewed some of these people. They don't say it's a mental disorder. That's, that's taking, uh, <laughs> that's political. They say that some people may have, un, again, unwanted uh, sexual attractions, not because they have a mental problem, but because they feel, and again, it's up to the individual, that there was something that interrupted their, development of their sexuality as a as a heterosexual and they want to explore that i don't think any i've never heard anyone suggest that someone who is gay has a mental disorder that's that's propaganda probably slipped in there by the gay movement i don't know alcorn the ohio teen whose death spurred the white house petition has gained an online following through her tumblr posts She wrote about depression and isolation, lamented that her life would only get worse, and expressed frustration that her parents wanted her to be their perfect little... Red Wing Shoes salutes the modern craftsman. Here's to the master electrician. Your hard work deserves more recognition. Cause you keep our current flowing and give our lives some spark. Without you, we'd all be in the dark. Find the right boots for your job at your local Red Wing retailer.
Did you have a baby last year? Or did you not have a baby last year despite all the subtle hints your mom kept dropping? Like building that crib and asking for a number one grandma mug for Christmas? Even though that's not how it works, you can't just ask to be awarded number one grandma. No matter what you went through last year, answering questions like, did you have a baby, is much simpler. Intuit TurboTax. It's amazing what you're capable of. Taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. Well, it looks like we've run out of time here for today. Um, I'm going to be off tomorrow to observe the last day of Passover, and I'll be back Monday. So I guess we'll be playing a um, a so-called best of. <laughs> um, I want to, again, thank Chuck Gunderson for joining me in the first hour today. Some fun tonight. The backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America. The historic tours of 1964 1966. This is an excellent two-volume set. Uh, check this out. It is really a uh, a gem. It's an excellent piece of work. Not only if you're a Beatles fan like I am, but also if you, you know, want to get a glimpse into the uh, the development of the 1960s culture, which the Beatles were at the forefront of. Obviously, check it out again. The Chuck Gunderson, some fun tonight. And, of course, you can check out my books. They're available at Amazon or Amazon Kindle. Just go to Amazon, put my name in the server, Chuck Morse, M-O-R-S-E, like Morse code, and you shall see uh, 15 books come up. You know, these are uh, across the board in terms of topic. My latest book is called The War Against Judaism. Uh, One of my books, which has been fairly consistent as a seller, is The Art and Science of American Money. It gets into the history of American currency. Um, and, uh, and other same such books on topics that have uh, captured my imagination to the point where I've actually written books on them. I'm thinking of writing a book about this conversion therapy, but I've got so many other things that I want to take on, and I'm in the middle of a book about the, uh, the nature and the philosophy of communism, which is... Yeah, pretty involved, and I, I want to get that one off my desk before I, before I begin, even consider another project. So check it out on Amazon and Amazon Kindle, and uh, check out Chuck Gunderson's book again. Some fun tonight. Um, I hope to have up by Monday the first edition of Chuck Moore Speaks the TV show, which will be on YouTube. Uh, the show is uh, on uh, at the Boston Network News here in my hometown. Thanks so much for listening, and of course to the USA Radio Networks. Stay tuned for news. Have a good day. Warning, if you or a loved one are struggling with drugs and alcohol, there's something you need to know. Thoughts like, I can stop anytime. I'm not hurting anyone. It's my life are lies. These lies cause you to drink or get high even when you've promised yourself or someone else you wouldn't. You may feel all alone, but you're not. We're here to help. Take the first step. Call us today at 800-461-3329 for a free no-obligation assessment. Your insurance may even cover the full cost of treatment. Please don't wait. Call 800-461-3329. 
If nothing changes, nothing changes. Call American Drug Treatment Centers to speak with our trained staff. We'll walk you through getting yourself or a loved one into treatment even if they won't admit there's a problem. The truth is, drugs and alcohol want you dead. Don't let them win. One simple call will start you on the road to recovery. Call 800-461-3329 now. It will be the best thing you ever do. Call 800-461-3329. 800-461-3329. 